Book Three, Chapters Eight to Sixteen of History of Animals by Aristotle. Translated by Darcy Wentworth Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight Grizzle is of the same nature as bone, but differs from it in the way of relative excess or relative defect, and just like bone, cartilage also, if cut, does not grow again. In terrestrial viviparous sanguinea, the grizzle formations are unperforated, and there is no marrow in them, as there is in bones. In the salachia, however, for, be it observed, they are grizzle-spined, there is found, in the case of the flat species, in the region of the backbone, a grizzle-like substance analogous to bone and in this grizzle-like substance there is a liquid resembling marrow. In viviparous animals furnished with feet, grizzle formations are found in the region of the ears, in the nostrils, and around certain extremities of the bones. Chapter 9 Furthermore, there are parts of other kinds, neither identical with nor altogether diverse from the parts above enumerated, such as nails, hooves, claws, and horns, and also, by the way, beaks, such as birds are furnished with, all in the several animals that are furnished therewithal. All these parts are flexible and fissile, but bone is neither flexible nor fissile, but frangible. And the colors of horns and nails and claw and hoof follow the color of the skin and the hair for according as the skin of an animal is black or white or of medium hue so are the horns the claws or the hooves as the case may be of hue to match and it is the same with nails the teeth however follow after the bones thus in black men such as the ethiopians and the like the teeth and bones are white but the nails are black like the whole of the skin. Horns in general are hollow at their point of attachment to the bone, which juts out from the head inside the horn, but they have a solid portion at the tip, and they are simple and undivided in structure. In the case of the stag alone, of all animals, the horns are solid throughout, and ramify into branches or antlers and whereas no other animal is known to shed its horns, the deer sheds its horns annually, unless it has been castrated, and with regard to the effects of castration in animals we shall have much to say hereafter. Horns attach rather to the skin than to the bone, which will account for the fact that there are found in Phrygia and elsewhere cattle, that can move their horns as freely as their ears. Of animals furnished with nails, and, by the way, all animals have nails that have toes, and toes that have feet, except the elephant, and the elephant has toes undivided and slightly articulated, but has no nails whatsoever. Of animals furnished with nails, some are straight-nailed like man, Others are crooked-nailed, as the lion among animals that walk, and the eagle among animals that fly. Chapter 
10. The following are the properties of hair and of parts analogous to hair, and of skin or hide. All viviparous animals furnished with feet have hair. All oviparous animals furnished with feet have horn-like tessellates. Fishes, and fishes only, have scales. That is, such oviparous fishes as have the crumbling egg or roe. For of the lanky fishes, the conger has no such egg, nor the marina, and the eel has no egg at all. The hair differs in the way of thickness and fineness, and of length, according to the locality of the part in which it is found, and according to the quality of skin or hide on which it grows. For, as a general rule, the thicker the hide, the harder and the thicker is the hair, and the hair is inclined to grow in abundance and to a great length in localities of the bodies hollow and moist if the localities be fitted for the growth of hair at all. The facts are similar in the case of animals, whether coated with scales or with tessellates. With soft-haired animals the hair gets harder with good feeding, and with hard-haired or bristly animals it gets softer and scantier from the same cause. Hair differs in quality also according to the relative heat or warmth of the locality just as the hair in man is hard in warm places and soft in cold ones. Again, straight hair is inclined to be soft and curly hair to be bristly. Chapter 11 Hair is naturally fissile, and in this respect it differs in degree in diverse animals. In some animals the hair goes on gradually hardening into bristle until it no longer resembles hair but spine, as in the case of the hedgehog, and in like manner with the nails. For in some animals the nail differs as regards solidity in no way from bone. Of all animals man has the most delicate skin, that is, if we take into consideration his relative size. In the skin or hide of all animals there is a mucous liquid, scanty in some animals, and plentiful in others, as, for instance, in the hide of the ox, for men manufacture glue out of it. And, by the way, in some cases glue is manufactured from fishes also. The skin, when cut, is in itself devoid of sensation, and this is especially the case with the skin on the head, owing to there being no flesh between it and the skull. And wherever the skin is quite by itself, if it be cut asunder, it does not grow together again, as is seen in the thin part of the jaw, in the prepuce and the eyelid. In all animals the skin is one of the parts that extends continuous and unbroken, and it comes to a stop only where the natural ducts pour out their contents, and at the mouth and nails. All sanguineous animals, then, have skin, but not all such animals have hair, save only under the circumstances described above. The hair changes its color as animals grow old, and in man it turns white or gray. With animals in general the change takes place, but not very obviously, or not so obviously as in the case of the horse. Hair turns gray from the point backwards to the roots, 
but in the majority of cases, gray hairs are white from the beginning. And this is a proof that grayness of hair does not, as some believe to be the case, imply withering or decrepitude. For no part is brought into existence in a withered or decrepit condition. In the eruptive malady called the white sickness, all the hairs get gray, and instances have been known where the hair became gray while the patients were ill of the malady, whereas the gray hairs shed off and black ones replaced them on their recovery. Hair is more apt to turn gray when it is kept covered than when exposed to the action of the outer air. In men, the hair over the temples is the first to turn gray, and the hair in the front grows gray sooner than the hair at the back, and the hair on the pubes is the last to change color. Some hairs are congenital, others grow after the maturity of the animal, but this occurs in man only. The congenital hairs are on the hand, the eyelids and the eyebrows. Of the latter growths, the hairs on the pubes are the first to come, then those under the armpits, and thirdly those on the chin. For, singularly enough, the regions where congenital growths and the subsequent growths are found are equal in number. The hair on the hand grows scanty and sheds out to a greater extent and sooner than all the rest. But this remark applies only to hair in front, for no man ever gets bald at the back of his hand. Smoothness on the top of the head is termed baldness, but smoothness on the eyebrows is denoted by a special term which means forehead baldness, and neither of these conditions of baldness supervenes in a man until he shall have come under the influence of sexual passion. For no boy ever gets bald, no woman, and no castrated man. In fact, if a man be castrated before reaching puberty, the latter growths of hair never come at all, and if the operation take place subsequently, the aftergrowths and these only shed off, or rather, two of the growths shed off, but not that on the pubes. Women do not grow hairs on the chin, except that a scanty beard grows on some women after the monthly courses have stopped and a similar phenomenon is observed at times in priestesses in Caria, but these cases are looked upon as portentous with regard to coming events. The other aftergrowths are found in women, but more scanty and sparse. Men and women are at times born constitutionally and congenitally incapable of the aftergrowths, and individuals that are destitute even of the growth upon the pubes are constitutionally impotent. Hair, as a rule, grows more or less in length as the wearer grows in age. Chiefly, the hair on the hand, then, that in the beard, and fine hair grows longest of all. With some people, as they grow old, the eyebrows grow thicker to such an extent that they have to be cut off and this growth is owing to the fact that the eyebrows are situated at a conjuncture of bones, and these bones, as age comes on, draw apart and exude a gradual increase of moisture or room. 
The eyelashes do not grow in size, but they shed when the wearer comes first under the influence of sexual feelings, and shed all the quicker as this influence is the more powerful, and these are the last hairs to grow grey. Hairs, if plucked out before maturity, grow again, but they do not grow again if plucked out afterwards. Every hair is supplied with a mucous moisture at its root, and immediately after being plucked out it can lift light articles if it touch them with this mucus. Animals that admit of diversity of color in the hair admit of a similar diversity to start with in the skin and in the cuticle of the tongue. In some cases among men the upper lip and the chin is thickly covered with hair, and in other cases these parts are smooth, and the cheeks are hairy, and, by the way, smooth-chinned men are less inclined than bearded men to baldness. The hair is inclined to grow in certain diseases, especially in consumption and in old age and after death, and under these circumstances the hair hardens concomitantly with its growth, and the same duplicate phenomenon is observable in respect of the nails. In the case of men of strong sexual passions, the congenital hairs shed the sooner, while the hairs of the aftergrowths are the quicker to come. When men are afflicted with varicose veins, they are less inclined to take on baldness, and if they be bald, when they become thus afflicted, they have a tendency to get their hair again. If a hair be cut, it does not grow at the point of section, but it gets longer by growing upward from below. In fishes, the scales grow harder and thicker with age, and when the animal gets emaciated or is growing old, the scales grow harder. In quadrupeds, as they grow old, the hair in some and the wool in others gets deeper, but scantier in amount, and the hooves or claws get larger in size, and the same is the case with the beaks of birds. The claws also increase in size as do also the nails. Chapter 12 With regard to winged animals, such as birds, no creature is liable to change of color by reason of age, excepting the crane. The wings of this bird are ash-colored at first, but as it grows old the wings get black. Again, owing to special climatic influences, as when unusual frost prevails, a change is sometimes observed to take place in birds whose plumage is of one uniform color. Thus birds that have dusky or downright black plumage turn white or gray, as the raven, the sparrow, and the swallow. But no case has ever yet been known of a change of color from white to black. Further, most birds change the color of their plumage at different seasons of the year so much so that a man ignorant of their habits might be mistaken as to their identity. Some animals change the color of their hair with a change in their drinking water, for in some countries the same species of animal is found white in one district and black in another, and in regard to the commerce of the sexes, water in many places is of such peculiar quality that rams, if they have intercourse with the female after drinking it, beget black lambs, as is the case with the water of the Psucrus, so called from its coldness, a river 
in the district of Asuritis, in the Chalcidic Peninsula, on the coast of Thrace, and in Antandria, there are two rivers of which one makes the lambs white and the other black. The river's commander also has the reputation of making lambs yellow, and that is the reason they say why Homer designates it the Yellow River. Animals, as a general rule, have no hair on their internal surfaces, and in regard to their extremities they have hair on the upper, but not on the lower side. The hare, or dasypod, is the only animal known to have hair inside its mouth and underneath its feet. Further, the so-called mouse-whale, instead of teeth, has hairs in its mouth resembling pig's bristles. Hairs, after being cut, grow at the bottom but not at the top. If feathers be cut off, they grow neither at top nor bottom but shed and fall out. Further, the bee's wing will not grow again after being plucked off, nor will the wing of any creature that has undivided wings. Neither will the sting grow again if the bee lose it, but the creature will die of the loss. Chapter 13 In all sanguineous animals membranes are found, and membrane resembles a thin close-textured skin, but its qualities are different, as it admits neither of cleavage nor of extension. Membrane envelops each one of the bones, and each one of the viscera, both in the larger and the smaller animals, though in the smaller animals the membranes are indiscernible from their extreme tenuity and minuteness. The largest of all the membranes are the two that surround the brain, and of these two the one that lines the bony skull is stronger and thicker than the one that envelops the brain. Next in order of magnitude comes the membrane that encloses the heart. If membrane be bared and cut asunder, it will not grow together again, and the bone, thus stripped of its membrane, mortifies. Chapter 14 the omentum, or call, by the way, is membrane. All sanguineous animals are furnished with this organ, but in some animals the organ is supplied with fat, and in others it is devoid of it. The omentum has both its starting point and its attachment with ambidental vivipara in the center of the stomach, where the stomach has a kind of suture. In non-ambidental vivipara, it has its starting point and attachment in the chief of the ruminating stomachs. Chapter 15. The bladder also is of the nature of membrane, but of membrane peculiar in kind, for it is extensile. The organ is not common to all animals, but while it is found in all the vivipara, the tortoise is the only oviparous animal that is furnished therewithal. The bladder, like ordinary membrane, if cut asunder, will not grow together again, unless the section be just at the commencement of the urethra, except indeed in very rare cases, for instances of healing, have been known to occur. After death the organ passes no liquid excretion, but in life, in addition to the normal liquid excretion, it passes at times dry excretion also, 
which turns into stones in the case of sufferers from that malady. Indeed, instances have been known of concretions in the bladder so shaped as closely to resemble cockle shells. Such are the properties then of vein, sinew and skin, of fibre and membrane, of hair, nail, claw and hoof, of horns, of teeth, of beak, of grizzle, of bones, and of parts that are analogous to any of the parts here enumerated. Chapter 16. Flesh, and that which is by nature akin to it in sanguineous animals, is in all cases situated in between the skin and the bone, or the substance analogous to bone. For just as spine is a counterpart of bone, so is the flesh-like substance of animals that are constructed on a spinous system, the counterpart of the flesh of animals constructed on an osseous one. Flesh can be divided asunder in any direction, not lengthwise only, as is the case with sinew and vein. When animals are subjected to emaciation, the flesh disappears, and the creatures become a mass of veins and fibres. When they are overfed, fat takes the place of flesh. Where the flesh is abundant in an animal, its veins are somewhat small, and the blood abnormally red. The viscera also, and the stomach are diminutive, whereas with animals whose veins are large, the blood is somewhat black. The viscera and the stomach are large, and the flesh is somewhat scanty. And animals with small stomachs are disposed to take on flesh. End of chapter 16